We are so pleased to introduce Flying Changes Magazine as a sponsor of this episode. Flying Changes is a print and digital magazine that services sport horse enthusiasts in the Pacific Northwest. With a nice balance of community news, events, training, and competition articles, and local and professional photography, the magazine is not only a premier publication, but a direct line to the horse-loving community members in the Pacific Northwest. It's a bit of everything with something for everyone. Visit them at www.flyingchanges.com and look for them on Facebook and Instagram at Flying Changes Mag. Ooh, that is where's Caitlin? She coming? I know. I don't know where she at. I literally just got off the phone with her. Look at that. Somewhere being fast. <laughs> being fast. Oh, Lord. She's <laughs> What? He said, we literally just said, where's Caitlin? I said, I just got off the phone. And there you I go. I got stuck in my shirt. It wouldn't come on. I was like, I'm my like, hair was somewhere being fast. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am a young. I am a young. I am a young. I am. And I am a young. Black. A young black. Young. Black. A young black. Black. Black equestrian. 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 Black equestrian. Equestrian. Black equestrian. Equestrian. Black equestrian. I'm a young black equestrian. I am a young black equestrian. <laughs> Hey you, listening to this podcast. This podcast episode is going up on October 30th and that is enough time for you to get out and vote. If you have not done so already, be sure to cast your ballot. It is a right that you deserve and that you absolutely need to exercise. It's your civic duty. So head to the polls, vote early, and let us know when you did. Find our voting posts on Instagram and comment below. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Young Black Equestrians with your hosts, Abriana Johnson and Caitlin Gooch. Today, we have the Michael Lynch on the line with us. If you have seen any of our recent discussions, you know who the Michael Lynch is, but He's going to tell you more about his story today, and we are here for it all. So welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Uh, so we I are going gonna... hmm? Go ahead. Right. I was just going to say that uh, we start off our episodes sharing what we are thankful for today. So if you want to share what you are thankful for. Today, I'm thankful for friends who actually care about the way things are in the world and other people. Uh, we are living in some very trying times right now. Mm-hmm. And when I have friends that actually care about the state of this world and other people, it really makes my heart full. Mm-hmm. That is the truth. Awesome. Yeah. What are you thankful for, Caitlin? Um, this is our third time doing this today. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh boy. Um, oh. <laughs> what am I thankful for? Oh, I'm looking out the window, I'm looking for inspiration. I feel like I've labeled everything. I'm thankful for my children. I have three beautiful girls, and they're healthy and smiling. So there we go. <laughs> yes, that is a good thing to be thankful for. Um, I am thankful for. Uh, I'm I'm thankful for not having any regrets at this moment, um, because literally the last hour of my life has been booking clients and booking speaking engagements. And like I wouldn't have been able to or been open to doing either of these things if I hadn't taken the leap and quit my job like 
two weeks ago. So I am thankful for like things happening literally since the last episode we recorded at what 12 o'clock today. So I'm thankful for that because there's no way I could even fathom like all the things that are working in the universe to work down to trickle down to little old me and you know help me live out my dream that I want to do so that is what I'm thankful for today all right yes 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 he will so let's go ahead and get started tell us where you are located where you're from what you do all those sorts of things okay um I'm currently located in Sonoma, California, uh, which is in Northern California, wine country area. Originally, I'm from a little small town in rural West Blockton, Alabama. Um, I grew up riding Tennessee walking horses and padded racking horses. Um, what I'm doing now, I've slowed down a little bit uh, with the horse thing. Um, I have a band of saddlebred mares. Uh, I do no longer I do not own any walking horses at this point in my life, but I do own uh, three American saddlebred mares. I have one uh, five-gated mare that's 26 years old. I have a gray mare that's a five-gated mare that's 15. And I also have a 12-year-old chestnut mare that's a three-gated horse that I'm getting ready to bring back out. Um, in my regular day-to-day -day job, I do teach remedial reading at Sonoma Valley High School. I am a teacher by education and by trade. Um, the horse thing has been my hobby for, oh gosh, since I was a kid. I got started in this a long time ago. Um, I, was, I was never really great in sports. Um, I was always the quiet, booky animal type. And I used to walk four and a half miles to a guy who had walking horses when I was a kid. And I would clean stables for him. And then after we got through cleaning stables, he would give me a riding lesson. So that's how I got started in the walking horse industry. And from there, I went to a few shows with him, you know, just to kind of help out. I wasn't officially his groom or anything like that. It was more along the lines of, you know, hand me this bucket or wrap this horse's legs and, you know, okay, come up and watch. And we would sit on the rail and watch horses. And uh, from there, it just went into a different direction. I went to school. I didn't own my first horse myself until I got to college. Because um, then I was able to do a few more things. And um, there was a woman I had met before by the name of Jenny Jackson, who Shout out to Jenny Jackson. Today is her birthday. And she oh, basically turned me in. Yes, happy birthday, Jenny. <laughs> she basically taught me how to think like a horse, how to think, how to um, get inside a horse's head. She turned me from rider to what I call horseman. And I've known her for about 22 years now. She's just an amazing person. And I really credit a lot of my... Um, horse career to Jenny. That's great. And I currently am licensed to judge, oh, I haven't counted in a while. I'm licensed to judge equitation, Tennessee walking horses, Rocky Mountain spotted horses, uh, the Fox Trotters, spotted saddle horses, Peruvian Pasos, Pasofinos, and um, Peruvian Pasos, Pasofinos. And I do some of the other gated breeds at open shows. I may not be officially carded for them yet, but I'm carded for six gated breeds at this point. Wow, that is amazing. <laughs> so, and don't forget, like, the dogs. Well, I, I mean, well, this is where, yes, dogs were, it's funny because I have handled dogs professionally. I also breed dogs, I also judge dogs. This was my thing to do outside of horses. Um, when the a hobby to your people, hobby. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but the dogs actually uh, were, were a bit more lucrative than the horses, you know, because when you have a litter of puppies and you've got seven of them, you know, after you paid your expenses, you're like, oh, my God, I'm positive now. I've got some money in the bank. And we just always rent and reinvest it. I always put my money back into 
my uh, animals because if I had a little bit left over, I wanted to make my runs better or I wanted to have a better house or I got better supplements. And I did that for about 20 years as well to supplement my horse hobby. And it's been good to me. And we have a woman in the sport. She's like a legend. Her name is Mrs. Ann Rogers Clark. And I often quote Mrs. Clark a lot on my Facebook page. And Mrs. Clark said, when an industry has been good to you, you owe it to them to give back in some sort of way. This is the industry that's allowed you to pay your bills. It's allowed you to eat. It's allowed you a good, comfortable life. And so you owe it to that sport to actually give back to it. And so when I decided to step in from exhibitor into a judge mode, that was basically what I was trying to do was give back to the sport. That's been good to me. And also, you know, with taking on other people and mentoring people in horses, and dogs as well, because we always don't have the first or the best opportunities being people of color. There are many people who don't take us seriously. And I think a lot of that comes from just because we don't have the finances to go out and buy a $600 pair of boots, uh, a $10,000 horse to start off with. And so we have to make do with what we have. But as I always tell everybody, just do your best, keep doing Keep doing because the right people will see that you're dedicated and those doors will start opening and you'll start blazing your own path. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hey, then. Yes, yes, yes. I love it when people say things that we are literally living in right now. Like we are a literal testament to exactly what you just said. And it's amazing to see all that come to fruition. The hard part for me was that people told me that I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. They said, I, rem- I remember when I first started, everybody said, you can't do this. I got told, black people don't ride horses. Mm-hmm. Okay, really don't. And I got told, well, you're kind of fat. You need to be skinny to ride a horse. Well, okay. Well, you'll never be any good at it because you don't have a good horse. So I took my fat behind on the baddest horse I could and got it ready and took it in the ring and showed them, yes, I can. And not only did I do it once, I did it three or four times and took pictures so they would know. So I guess my biggest thing is that when somebody tells you you can't do this or this industry isn't for you, pay them no mind, honey. Don't pay them any mind. Mm -hmm. If you want to be in this industry, just do it. Don't let anybody sway you from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is the exact truth. So how would you say horses have kind of affected your life. I know that, like you just said, I mean, it's kind of built a confidence in you to prove these people wrong, but in what other ways have horses kind of affected your life? Well, when you start working horses, you start learning a lot about yourself. You start to learn, like when I first, I guess my best opportunity that I had, I used to take rescue horses in when I lived in Alabama. These were the discarded horses that nobody wanted. These were the horses that weren't good enough. These were the horses that were mistreated and abused. And unfortunately, I know that feeling when you're not good enough or you're not the best or nobody wants to deal with you because you may have issues or problems. And when you're sitting there in the round pen, you're like, okay, what are we going to do now? You learn that you have inner strength. You learn that you have confidence that you never know you learn that you have the patience of Job, Mm -hmm. and you learn that you can connect with these animals on a deeper level, and it makes you more empathetic when you're dealing with people, because a lot of the time, I tell people, and I use horse terms a lot, like when I see a student that is rebelling, as I always say, he's just being a two-year-old stud that needs to have a gelding. That's all he's doing. He's he's just being a two-year-old stud. He's acting out. I said, only thing we need to do, we need to find a different way of how to connect with them. Mm-hmm. And usually, I connect more with my students that have been discarded, that have been told that they're not good enough, that have been told that they're dumb, they can't do this. I don't understand why you're wasting your time in school because you're just a dummy. And those things, I can see it. I can connect with them. I'm like, no, we're going to go to this round pen. We're going to get this reason together. So you can prove them wrong because don't let anybody tell you you can't do anything 
because remember, people told me I couldn't do anything. I had a high school guidance counselor told me I should look into being an auto mechanic because college wasn't for me. And here I'm sitting there with two degrees right now with a bachelor's and a master's and a teaching credential, but she told me I shouldn't go there because I didn't have the grades to make it to school. And I always tell people, if there is something that you want and you're hungry enough, just go ahead and do it. So I guess connecting all this with the animals, it makes me able to deal with people on a different level that's not so superficial. I can get past those layers because, yes, I know when a horse is acting up and when it's not doing it. And I can also tell when a horse is trying to tell you something. A horse is trying to tell you, hey, I'm not sure I can trust you yet. And that's all we do in the round pen back and forth. You can trust me. I have no harm for you. Right. And it's the same way when you're connecting with students. It's like, I have no harm for you. I only want the best for you. I'm going to give you all this learning so you can go out and do something with it. Same thing with the horse. That's amazing. That's amazing. And that's kind of like, you know, what Caitlin does with Saddle Up and Read, you know, just fostering that relationship and that connection, um, you know, between reading, between dealing with horses, not saying that your students have to go out and deal with horses, but like that relationship is full circle, like that understanding, especially when it comes to reading, like life skills like reading. Um, it's interesting how those two tend to go together. Um, so what, tell us about being a judge. How did you even get into that part of the horse industry? Well, it was two things that, um, that jarred my judging career. Um, the first thing was that at the time in Northern California, I was showing a black mare called Stark's Charming Lady out of Jenny Jackson's barn. And whenever we hit the ring, we were winning classes. And a lot of the exhibitors did not like that. They went to show management and said, if Mike shows up one more time with that black mare, we're pulling our entry. So the show manager came to me and said, look, can you kind of cool it on your mare because it's hurting my show. I was like, well, they need to step it up. And she was like, mm -hmm. no, seriously, it's hurting my show. I said, all right. I said, well, if I can't exhibit, I'm going to judge y'all, literally judge them. And the second <laughs> thing that, that um, happened with that career, my mentor pushed me to do it. She said, you can do this. You can see the horses for what you are, for what they are. You know what a good one is. You know what a bad one is. And she said, rather than you calling me every other week complaining about how bad the judging is, do something about it. Fill out your application. Get your apprentice judging in. You say that the judging is bad, be the change you want to see. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I did. Like I tell people in my, in my ring, I said, everybody's got a fair shot. I said, because you know what? I don't play these games. Well, this is a big time trainer. Oh, this is an amateur, so I don't really have to, I don't play that. If you come in and you ride, as I tell people, you come in and ride some blood and make me look at you, I'm going to notice you. And if you've got a good one, you're going to land on the top of my car. So that's what held me in. That's what got me into judging. And also, I know being a person of color, I carry a lot of weight when I step into that center ring. I carry a lot of the weight of the world on my shoulders when I step in the center ring. And not in a bad way, but just that when one of us does something good, we can all celebrate. When one of us does something bad, we're all accused of it. Mm -hmm. So I know each time when I step into that ring, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that I have to be aware of, you know, and a lot of the times they they people discredit you or they don't expect you to have the knowledge or they question your credentials. But each time I'm more than happy to do the best I can. And like one of my friends said, it's very simple. Just judge the horses, Mike. How do you see it? Don't worry about who did what to whom and who's this and what's this. And if this big trainer, you're going to piss this one off or this is an amateur. She said, just judge the horses. And that's what I've done for 22 years. And that's what is done. And it's been really good to me to just do that because even people say, if I don't agree with your placings, I have to respect them, Mike, 
because I know exactly what you're doing in every class. I said, well, yeah. I said, you know, friendship goes out the door as soon as you step in this ring. As soon as you step in this ring, and I said, I, it's even tougher for my friends to show to me because in the back of my mind, you guys know what I like. You guys know what I expect. You guys know what I presented, and I expect you to bring it to as well. So I'm a little bit tougher on you than just say the person I have no idea who they are. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I know that, you know, every time I step into that ring, I know that there's a great responsibility. And as Mrs. Clark, the dog lady said, you are invited here today as an expert. Be one. Mm-hmm. And that means put your time in, know what you're doing, be professional, be courteous. Because what most people don't realize I have a few friends that are judges, and they come in and say, well, I'm the judge, and it's the way that I'm going to go. No, honey, you are part of show management, and show management is here to put on the show, make a profit. They pay you, and you have to realize that you're here for a reason, and you're supposed to be the all-knowing expert, and you're supposed to have some passion. There was a class I walked in one time where eight horses walked in my ring, and I could have disqualified every single one of them. Now, what good would that do, disqualifying every horse, even though I had a right to? There were so many technicalities, like one was riding a horse two-handed that was seven years old in a Western class. One had a wrong bit. And also they're like, oh, my goodness, this, is a, this class needs a little prayer. <laughs> and I pulled them in in the lineup. I said, now, listen, everybody in this class has something that I need to start this class off at third place. I'm not doing that. I said, because it's a learning experience, too. I said, so this is your disqualification. This is what we're going to do. Now, everybody's disqualified. We're all on the same level. I'm going to tie this class. Just make sure it doesn't happen when you walk back in again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the show manager was like, I appreciate you doing that because some judges just would have tied the whole class. They would have got frustrated and they would have went home. And when you go home, that means I don't get entry money. And when you don't get entry money, that means my paycheck may be short at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And you know how I am about my money. I ain't playing that. So, but yeah, I think that if, if you should, you should, although you do carry a great responsibility, also bring great compassion to the ring and understand it. Because you've been there too for your first time. You've been there in the ring for the first time, like, am I doing this right? It's bad enough when you don't have the confidence in it your first time. But to have a judge totally eviscerate you off the cards and be mean, that's not what a judge is supposed to do, no. And yeah. so when I step in the ring, I try to bring, I tell them a lot of the times, I said, if you don't win up under me, I'm going to give you something to work on. And hopefully the next time you see me, providing I haven't pissed everybody off, you'll be a little bit better as a writer because that's what it's all about to me. Right. No different than if I'm given a lesson, no different right. if I'm standing in the ring judging or anything like those. Right. Right. Do you give feedback? Like, I, I mean, I, I feel like many times when I've been to a show, it's like, don't talk to the judge. Like, don't go up to the judge. Do you give feedback in the lineup or is it just on the card? So if they want to ask, they can see. I do both. There are times that I step up to the ring, to the microphone. I take it from the announcer and I will give reasons why I judge my class. Because when I was in high school, I was on a livestock judging team, and tying the class was easy, but you had to step up and give your reasons why you tied the class. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very beneficial to exhibitors to actually know why are you tying this class this way. Um, I remember one time I had a three-year-old and under class where everybody in front of me spooked. The best horse in front of me spooked, and it's like, oh, what am I going to do now because I can't pretend like I didn't see it. But like I said, it was a three-year-old and underclass, probably some of their first times in the ring. So what I did at that point, I just basically said, hey, guys, this is a three-year-old and underclass. There's a lot of noise. I'm going to tie it. So this is how I'm going to tie it because of it. But I give feedback in the ring. I give feedback after the show if you want. I'll give you feedback in the lineup. It just all depends on what you want. I'll give it to you because that's part of my job and responsibility as a judge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of the times we leave people in the dark too much and they're sitting there like, why did he do that? I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And I hate the things like, well, that one, was, I just like the other one better. 
No, give me reasons. Give me a valid reason why you tied this class. Now, the complete honesty about it, not a lot of people can do that. Not a lot of judges can say why they tied the class. Mm -hmm. But I'll try to give you your money's worth. I mean, I'm going to be there all day long. I'm on the clock. If you just tell me your number, and I try to take notes. I carry a notebook when I'm in the ring, and I'll have, like, a back number. I'll have, like, the horse's color, like, grown and black hat. And so if I'll, if the person comes to me after the show, she'll say, well, my number was 45. I was in the two-gated open walk trot class. And I can go back in my notes and I say, okay, well, you're on the wrong diagonal at that point. The trot was really nice. And I try not to fault judge either. I just try to give them things that are positive and one thing that they can work on. Because when you get a lot of heavy constructive criticism, that does you in. So I try to be positive. And all of my critiques and all of my it, all of my uh, feedback that I'm giving, mm -hmm. because no one really wants to hear, "Hey, you suck. You're bad." Yeah. No, you don't want to hear that. Yeah. Give somebody a reason to come back to you and show again and to keep trying. That's how I do my feedback. That's awesome. I'm sure your exhibitors absolutely appreciate that because I've had it, you know, on both ends of the spectrum and it's like okay well i kind of want to know what i need to work on but they're looking at me sideways like i'm gonna just take this l <laughs> and go on about my business but that doesn't make me a better rider you know so i'm sure i'm sure people who show under you absolutely appreciate the honesty and know that you're not gonna like berate them to get your point across exactly right yeah all right, so what is your grand vision for the future? I mean, you've done a lot, but you said you got another mare that you're about to uh, put back in the ring. Yeah, um, I haven't exhibited a horse in like over five years, and I bought this mare as a brood mare from another black trainer down in Southern California. And when I got the mare here, I'm like, this mare is pretty nice. I said, she. She's a little bit more than a broodmare. And come to find out, she was a um, three-year-old. Um, she was a, um, not a three-year-old. She was a kid for it. And she had a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old that used to ride her. And I'm sitting there, and I rode her. She's a blast to ride. I mean, I'm a little bit too big for her, but she's a blast to ride. And so a few days, about a month ago, when I was out working in the arena, I just wanted to see, like, well, are you going to be a five-gated saddlebred? Can you rack? kind of lifted my hands. I started asking. I shift my seat. She took two or three gated steps. And it's like, oh, my goodness, you just racked a little bit. And um, I asked her again, and she racked again. And so we've been working on getting her to rack. And there's a show coming up in October that I want to put her in. So that gives me, like, a deadline and a goal to work for. So mm -hmm. that's going to be fun. I mean, I haven't had a horse in the ring because I really don't think it's fair for me to compete against you every weekend and then judge you. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's not fair. So right. I haven't been in the ring for about five years. And since this, this year's horse show season is going to bust, I mean, there's only two horse shows up here in Northern California this year, and I'm judging one of them. So <laughs> it's like, okay. So October kind of gives me something to go for. And it feels good to be able to, you know, sit here, work a horse, bring her up to that, you know, and she was just always supposed to be a broodmare. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, well, this is a little bit more than a broodmare. And I like finding those diamond and brown plain wrappers when you get them. And I mean, it's like, everybody's going to be like, where did you get her from? I'm like, I bought her. She was on the market for like seven months, but nobody bought her. So now I've got her and she's doing great. So that's my short-term vision. And of course, my long-term vision for the horse industry. I still want to see more minorities, more people of color, more women, um, like at reigning shows, cutting shows. Yeah. You know, basically, you see women in halter and Western pleasure, maybe some showmanship classes. I want to see more women compete in reigning. I want to see more women compete in cutting. You know, there are other things besides barrel racing and pole bending. Mm -hmm. And I really want them to see be competitive, and I'm really supportive of that. I like to see women trainers do well in my ring. Uh, I'm not just saying that I just exclusively go 
for women trainers, but when you've got your, if all things were being equal and you've got your mount and you've got everything on the top and everything come out and you had a flawless ride, I'm going to tip the scale in your favor because you know what? You did great and you need to be rewarded for that. And I think a lot of the times we take things for granted that's easier for, let's say, a white male trainer. You know, they get wins all the time. But then you get a minority trainer in there or a, or you get a minority trainer in there or you get someone who hasn't done this before and they're giving just as good of a ride and they're just as, as flawless, but they get overlooked. So that's my whole goal. I see people in the ring. I see those new people. I see those minorities. I see those people who are trying hard and I think that they should also get their day in the ring too as well. Now that means I'm not just going to give it to you because I know you knew. No, you're going to have to still perform in my in my ring. As everybody knows, you're going to have to work for it. I don't give out ribbons. You're going to work for it. But I expect, <laughs> but I will see you, you know, when you're doing a great job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad you segued into that because we have been involved and invited you to. I've seen that other people have invited you to have these discussions about diversity in the horse industry, especially after the murder of George Floyd. So where do you feel like this conversation is going right now? Because we, you know, we had some conversations and people still wanted to talk about the definition of racism and whether or not it's there or not. And it's like, why are we still talking about that? Like, can we not move on? Where do you feel like we're sitting now? To be quite honest, I think I felt placated by a lot of the horse organizations. I think I felt like it was a sporty thing to do at the time. And now that the talks have waned, everybody's back to square one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was on a diversity uh, um, task force with the American Saddlebred Horse Association that I left. Simply because, and I'll be very honest, it was all talk. It was all smoke and it was all mirrors. Mm-hmm. The Saddlebred Association was supposed to be putting out a strong statement about how Black Lives Matter. They asked us for our stories. They asked us about, tell us about how racism has, has happened in the show ring. I said, well, the first time I showed a spotted horse, I said, I lost the class. And as I'm leaving the class, the judge, where everybody could hear, told me that uh, if me and the horse changed colors, I might would have won the class. I said, and another friend was working her horse in the arena, and I said, a big-time trainer comes through and says, move, nigger, and no one said a word. Now, dealing in saddlebreds and the amount of people there, the amount of money there, I would expect them to have a stronger response. But some of our higher-ups in the breed, the big-money people, Mm -hmm. are posting racist things on Facebook all day long, Mm -hmm. and... um, no one's saying anything to him. No one's sanctioning him. The Tennessee Walking Horse National uh, Celebration issued a very strong statement during this. They said, there will be no more flying of the Confederate flag at any of our horse shows. Mm-hmm. People lost their collective mind. But collective I was surprised. Mind. I was surprised to see that. Oh, I was too, because I know how it is to walk in horses. I was totally surprised. But they took a strong statement. And, you know, I have people saying, well, I'm not going to go to the celebration. I'm like, girl, you ain't been to the celebration in 15 years. You ain't got no horse. And then other people, you know, there were people that were just saying, like, oh, well, I would never support the celebration. I'm like, you don't support the celebration. I mean, okay, girl, your $12.50 Friday night ticket, I think we good. You can do that. But I haven't seen a trainer yet that said, okay, I'm not taking my string to celebration. Because let's face it, that's where the big money and the deep pockets go. And a world champion is a world champion is a world champion. Regardless if there's a Confederate flag on the arena or in the ring or at back at the stall. So the people who deal with everyday reality, they know it. But it just kind of, being in the both of the breeds, it kind of made me think, well, if the walking horse people can make this strong of a statement, why aren't the saddlebred people doing it? Yeah. And what really got me was that when we were on the diver, and I'm going to spill a little tea here, girl, uh, on the diversity committee, 
I felt that they did some moves to make the first black person on the board a token person. Mm-hmm. And I called them out on that. I called them out. I said, this is tokenism. I said, you are appointed to the board, and then at the end of December, you're going to have to run to get elected again. And I said, the only reason why you're on there, I said, because they wanted to make a good token. Well, she cussed me out and told me that, you know, I we can't let perfect stand in the way of good. I said, perfect stand in the way of good? I'm like, girl, you letting them treat you like the N-word just so you can be on this committee. Right. And I said, you ain't doing nothing? I said, so where's this strong statement was supposed to be issued? Where is this? And I said, y'all collected our stories. Where are they published? Mm-hmm. Well, some of the people on the board had an issue with it. Who had an issue with it on the board? Say their names because I got to vote for them this upcoming December. And if you got an issue with me as, as with with my color, uh, I need to know this so I can cast my vote the right way. Right. So when it finally came to fruition that this was just a placating move and nobody wanted to do anything of of substance, like I said, we've been talking about this for the past, let's see, since April. We've been talking about it. We all going to do something. Mm-hmm. The walking horse people did something, and it pissed off everybody, but at least they did something. But I said, you know what? The Saddlebred people have refused to say anything or do anything, and our World Championship Horse Show starts um, Saturday night in Louisville. And, you know, everybody's always talking about, well, is it going to be safe? Is it going to be this? We have protests, blah, 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 blah. I was like, you know what? This is where you have to step out of your collective horse show world and realize there are bigger things than you getting on green shavings and getting the blue ribbon. Mm-hmm. I said, Breonna Taylor's murder. You know what's the bad part of next week in Louisville? They still ain't going to arrest Breonna Taylor's murderer in Louisville. Mm-hmm. And y'all are worried about a horse show. When they walked into this girl's house where they didn't even knock on the door and they shot her boyfriend and her dad. They shot her dad. And I said, y'all are worried about a blue ribbon and whether going to Louisville is safe. I said, if you had any modicum of compassion, that is one place you wouldn't even uh, be at this point. Yeah. I said, I wouldn't boycott a place like that. I said, I would boycott it. But, you know, they're so caught up into the horse show and we need to have a horse show and we need to have our world championship horse show. And I'm still waiting. And I, you know, and I piss people off a lot and I'm okay with it because I'll be willing to piss people off for the right reason. I email the people that were on the, on the, uh, on the diversity committee, as well as the president, as well as the CEO. I said, so where's our statement? Where it at? Where it at? When you gonna say something, we, you ask us for all of our stories and you ask for our statement, but it's like, I haven't seen anything in the five emails a day you sent about it. So what's, what's going on with it? And I don't even get a response these days. So I know we're being placated. I know she's there as a token, but it's time for us to realize that as people. Yeah. And, you know, rather than her making a big wave about nothing's being done, she's like, I got to quietly sit by because I don't want to ruin any friendship. Oh, Girl, you know, Those are not the friends you exactly. need. Exactly. And so, you know, I know that people say something like they say all the time. They're like, you're the Malcolm X, but we're trying to take a Martin Luther King approach. I said, actually, what you're doing ain't working right now because they, they refuse to release a statement to piss off the membership. Now mm-hmm. they say good, they talk a good talk when they're on the conference call. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, you know, we're gonna do something about it. We're gonna have a strong statement. We need to get people on board. We need to do this, we need to do that, blah, 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 blah. But bottom line, they're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. They're not doing anything and they don't wanna do anything. And that's the bad part about it. Yeah, that's- I'm coming back. I just had to get my charger. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that, like, I I hate that, you know, that that had to happen that way, but that's kind of why I, like, fell back on the whole endurance thing, because I just bought me a new endurance saddle, like, it fits my horse like a glove, and I'm like, yeah, I want to get out here and do stuff, and then the AERC, like, just absolutely refuse like deleting people's comments like censoring you know not responding to any requests or questions about 
their stance and then still having Confederate flags, Trump flags, you know, all this crap at their rides and stuff. I'm like, okay, if I'm gonna just ride all these miles, I'm gonna do it on my own. I'm not gonna try to be a part of any of these organizations that don't value lives that look like mine or that look like me. So exactly. I just, it's, it's these, these, you know, these institutions, like you're supposed to be representative of your community and, but you're also supposed to have morals. You're also supposed to have standards. Like, just like you judge a horse a particular way, you should know that, you know, people are worthy of their existence. It's not, it's not, you're not judging horses out here just for their color. You judge on how they perform. You judge on judge them on their character. Like that's what you're supposed to be there for. That's what standards are for, not based on skin color. So it's amazing how that simply does not translate when it comes to people. And I hold people accountable. I mean, like I told one guy, I said, you came to me and asked me for help to get elected on the board. You're on the board. I said, just like I got you on the board, I can get you off. And I said, you know, when I come to you with an issue that's near and dear to me, I said point blank, where do you stand on this issue? Because this is when we learned that a few of the board members had a problem with it. I said, so where do you stand on this issue? And he was very lackadaisical. And I was like, you know what? It's okay. Your silence speaks volumes. Oh, well, I'm busy. I'm this, that, that. I said, you know what? I don't care if you're busy. You are a board member. This is an important topic to me. You need to be available to discuss this as a board member. Now, when you ask for my help to vote, did I say, oh, I'm busy, or did I do that? And I said, no. And so when I start making people feel uncomfortable because I need to make them accountable for their actions, that's when people start saying, oh, you're difficult, and oh, I don't want to work with you, and oh, you threw me up under the bus. I'm like, honey, if you can't realize that this is tokenism, and if you can't realize you're just up there just to kind of placate them, no, then somebody's got to do it. And you know what? I love to call BS on people's BS. I'll be that person all day long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Same. <laughs> same, same, same. That's why um, I just... It's funny, a lot of people are saying like, oh, this group didn't say anything or this group didn't say anything. And we kind of have to hold our tongue because we're like, we're helping on the back end. And it's like, I, I've learned a, a certain level of discernment. You know, there's a lot of people that said a lot of things real loud, but here we are, you know, two, three months later and what has happened? Mm-hmm. All of these initiatives and groups and all these things have just come about and they're like, we're rah, 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 we're going to do this stuff. Where are they now? In the wind. Exactly. In exactly. the wind. Tokens in the wind, okay? Because exactly these people, you know, especially chosen because of what they look like or who they know but don't have any substance you know now just disappeared like mm-hmm. it's just too Got much. Your little spotlight and then when it was time to do something you just disappear or like you said they get mad at you for calling them out and holding them accountable but it's like if we don't do that then what's the point mm-hmm. yeah exactly yeah. I had someone tell me, um, why are we focusing on holding each other accountable when we need to be focusing on working together? And I was like, girl, we already working. Like, like exactly. you, you, you said that you were going to do something. We, we, I'm not bringing you in on the stuff that we've been working on. Right. You bring to me what you doing. And I'll bring to do what exactly. I'm doing, and we'll see how our actions can help each other. You're not just going to ride this train. Right. Mm-hmm. Amen. It is. You get it. it. You get it. It is. Now, like I said, my organization can't even put out a statement. And I'm like, didn't we talk about this? Didn't we have numerous telephone calls about this? 
Didn't we create a task force for this? Right. And like I said, right. and when I told him point blank, I said, guys, we're being placated. I said, our president only has like maybe four or five more months left, and he don't want to deal with this. I said, they just basically threw us a banana, and you know, and we gobbled it up. Like, okay, she's mm-hmm. the first. I said, think about this. In the history of the American Saddlebred Horse Association breed since 1908, we have never had a person of color on the board. Now today, after we've created this task force and we have had issues and Black Lives Matter is an issue, why do we get one today? I said, you know, and they said, well, it's not a race issue. I said, honey, if it wasn't a race issue, you would not be the first token black person on the board. Right. And I said, and trust, you ain't getting elected. You ain't getting elected come December. I said, because, A, the numbers ain't there for you, and, B, it's a popularity contest. Mm -hmm. I said, the machine is already working in the background. I said, if you can't see it on the Facebook post, then I don't know what to tell you. So. Mm Like I said, it's a good talk, but it nothing's getting done. Yeah. And that's where I feel, you know, with my breed and their breed standards and where they are right now, that's where I feel. I just feel very much let down by my by the Saddlebred Horse Association. Very much let down. Mhm. Mhm. And I wonder, like. I mean, obviously, <laughs> like you said, bringing your uh, concerns to their attention may or may not, you know, or it may fall on deaf ears, but I just, I wonder how that translates over other breeds. Like Caitlin, she contacted AQHA and was like, hey, you have a horse's name, nigga. You want to do something about that? And like, and they did something. And it's not like she's a longstanding dues paid member for years and attending, sh- you know, well, so news. <laughs> well, I mean, I know, but it's not like it you like years <laughs> in the game and they know your name and they like call you like just to say what's up if you want something to eat, like nothing like that. But like it's just amazing, like the comparing the responses. Like obviously, right. they're a little bit more. And AQHA isn't always known for being super flexible, but obviously they're open, you know, they're listening mm-hmm. and they're, right. they're recognizing the error in their ways and right. doing something about it. So it seems like a stark contrast between the two associations. And, you know, and I will say this, and maybe this is my own biases walking into it. I felt that because of the money and because of the people we are tracking our free, you know, like William Chapman, Misty Wrigley from the Wrigley Corporation, um, Carson Cressley, people like that we've attracted in our breed, but there's never been a statement about it. And I felt that, you know, because let's face it, there is a certain stereotype about the average quarter horse owner, just like there's a certain stereotype about the average Tennessee walking horse owner. And in stereotypes, there are some truths. Mm-hmm. And so I just felt we were dealing with a better grade of people that would have an understanding and a little bit more um, inclined for diversity. But obviously, the people at the top don't want to piss off the people that are funding everything and sponsoring the classes at the horse show. And there are some great people. Like when I was back in back east, uh, we went to a horse show in Tennessee. And this woman, the show manager, her name was Jackie Hale. And I went to her and I said, Jackie, I have a problem with all of those Confederate flags on the side of the arena. I have a big problem with it. And the girl from South Africa, she came and backed me up at the time. She was like, yeah, that's a problem. And Jackie said, okay. The next thing I know, I go back into the arena like 45 minutes later, they're gone. And I said, Jackie, uh, what happened? She said, you have a problem with it? That's the way we deal with things here at the show, end of the discussion. Now, you've got this person that's able to do something and say something and in that, but our association just sits on the board and just sits there and goes, which you watching? Because some board members may have some problems with it. Oh, no, ma'am. Oh, just wait till election time. Y'all, y'all just follow my Facebook post on election time. When it's time to elect some people to the board, oh, 
Mike, let me tell you something. I don't need you in jail having to make another Facebook page again, okay? I was like, okay, that's Mike Lynch. That's Mike Lynch. All right, uh, let me follow it. Okay, he said, okay, okay, this page shutting down. All right, okay, there's Jelly Bean. Okay. <laughs> don't get in jail again. You know they are coming for you. <laughs> That's true, but just wait till, ooh, just wait till it's time for, because it's coming up, and like I said, I've got a memory like an elephant. I'll be like, hold up. Receive. My boat. You ain't, you ain't, you, didn't you have a problem with Black Lives Matter? And wait, you're the former president, and wait, and you this, and you didn't do nothing when you was on, uh, I mean, like, I'm going to put it all out there, because I may put up a Okay, it's time to vote for board of directors for the American Celebrated Horse Association. Let me tell y'all who I'm not voting for. And you can follow suit and do what you want to, but here's who I'm not voting for, and here's the reason why. Now, if I get thrown in jail over that, oh, well. <laughs> I'll take that one. You know, we're going to follow you wherever you go. You, we're oh, just I know. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, so let's go ahead. Oh, wait, last thing. What advice do you have for aspiring equestrians? You gave some really good points earlier, but um, do you have any kind of final gems you want to drop for these these audience members of ours? And me and my program, because you're a, a teacher. <laughs> okay, well, uh, as far as your saddle up and read, keep reading, always read. Um, Never stop reading. Find things that you want that interest you and read. Read more. Read some more. And then once you're tired of reading, read a little bit more. That's what I'm, I'm always about. I'm an advocate for reading because reading gives you knowledge and knowledge gives you power. And when you have power and no one can zip you up on things that you have read and researched. So I said, think about reading as giving you power, giving you brain power. So that's why I always push about reading and being a remedial reading teacher, you know, like I tell, I said, I don't care if you read in the back of a soup can, read something every day. And as far as the horse industry goes, the gems for aspiring, I don't care if you're riding a $200 off the track, lame thoroughbred and tennis shoes and a saddle with a broken horn and don't know what you're doing. My advice to you is don't ever stop. Keep on riding that lame thoroughbred. Keep on riding in your tennis shoes until you can do better. Because it's not about having a $10,000 horse. It's not about having a $3,000 saddle. It's not about having $500 boots. It's about dedication. Show up, give your best, give it all you got, and then keep on doing it. Because the right person's going to see you one day and go, hmm. If he's got that amount of dedication for that lame thing with a broken saddle and tennis shoes, imagine what he can do if I actually put him on this good one. Mm -hmm. So the real people that you that will understand, and yes, you're going to get told, oh my God, that's so stupid. You're so dumb. Why are you doing this? You can't ride. Oh, that's for white people. You can't do this. You can't do that. Don't pay them any mind. Just keep on doing your thing and doing you because one day, you're going to be sitting in the position where I am. They told me I couldn't do it. They told me I was too fat. I was too black. I was too dumb. I was too this and I was too that. But I didn't listen to a word because that was my passion. That was what I wanted to do. And don't ever let anybody steal your passion away from you. Ever. Period. That was perfect. I love every bit of what you just said. Yes, 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 yes. All right, let's get into the derby round. Woo, derby round. <laughs> All right. I'm like, you're excited. Everybody else is like, what we doing? I know. Maybe like, that's because they didn't know what a derby was. Maybe. I don't know. Next. I don't know. Anyway, so you answered these questions with the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? Ready. All right. English or Western? Lester. Solids or spots? Spots. Bays or grays? Grays. 
Brown tack or black tack? Black tack. <laughs> Sponge or a curry brush? Sponge. I'm on school. <laughs> <laughs> Shod or barefoot? Barefoot. Ah. Bumper pull or gooseneck? Gooseneck, honey. No more bumper pull for me. <laughs> Rope halter or nylon halter? Leather. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Leather. <laughs> what is your favorite piece of barn equipment? Uh, my lunge whip. <laughs> because it doubles as a lunge whip, it doubles as a get out of here and quit trying to steal this flake of hay. And get out of the barn. Yes, lunch will. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite piece of tack? Uh, probably my. So you got it right there. Yes, I had to take her and give her some oil and some conditioning. This is I had this since I was like seventeen. Oh, wow. This is my work brattle, and I take good care of it. I had to save a whole month of lawnmower money and to buy this bridle back then. But this is my work bridle. It's about as old as I am and it feels soft like butter. That's my favorite piece of tack. Oh, that's precious. When was the last time you fell off? Ooh, about two months ago and it was bad too because I was trying to be bareback and thinking like, ooh, I'm balanced. And somebody's like, you fat and old now. And I fell off into the blackberry bush. <laughs> I sure did. Hey. I just. <laughs> I, I'm laughing because I remember like the afterwards when yep. I got back on Facebook and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> he was mad. Fell into the blackberry bush. He's like, you all right. <laughs> yes, yes we are. Yes we are. This was on the um the the one you're preparing to show, right? Yeah, the big Palomino horse, and it was just it was like she, I was she's big and tall, so I had to stand on something to get on her. And I should have went back to the barn, got the mountain block, but I tried to load up on the side of the trailer. I finally got on top of her after scrambling. And then, like, when I just got there and I turned and she hit the side of the trailer, and then I just started going off like this. I'm like, oh, man, oh, oh, man, oh, oh. And, you know, no certain nothing to grab but made, and it was gone. And then they said, oh, oh well, I'm, I'm, I'm landed in the Blackberry patch. Oh, okay. We're doing this today. All right. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. All right. Last question. If money was no object, what is the first or what is one the single horse-related thing you would buy? Oh, money was no object. A breeding stud feed to Undulata's Nutcracker that's currently out of my price range right now that I want to breed to. Mm. And he has produced beautiful babies, but girl, I can't touch that stud feed right now. How much is it? So that's what I would do. I was scared to ask. thousand dollars yeah, What's the horse name? <laughs> right. How many? How many other horses? You for fifteen thousand dollars. Huh? How many other horses? Yeah, fifteen thousand dollars. But he's worth it. Yeah. He's worth it. He Every baby of his so on the ground has either sold. Yeah, his name is Undulata's Nutcracker. Um, he is a top producing sire and saddlebred. Uh, he's, he's probably uh, out of like 200 some odd yet, maybe 175 have won ribbons in Kentucky State Fair. He's produced a large amount of world champions, and when his babies hit the ground, you, you go, oh my God. That's, it's, so yes, it's worth every pit, but uh-uh, I can't afford that on a teaching salary, uh-uh. So I have to breed to his son and, you know, repeat breeding. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he has a. He, if the money was no object, I had all my marriage bread to him by now. Mm. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for 
coming on the show today. We appreciate you and tell our audience where they can find you if they have any questions. Um, you can also find me up on Facebook up under Mike Lynch, Sonoma, California. You can find me on Instagram at AKCJudge5816. And you can also find me on TikTok up under AKC5816 or AKC6816 on TikTok. So that's where I am on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. I'm going to have to follow you on TikTok. I don't eat bologna sandwiches, but <laughs> I appreciate late night snacks. <laughs> yes. Had to make that struggle meal. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness. All right. Well, we will talk to you a little bit later. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Young Black Equestrians. Head over to our Facebook or Instagram pages and let us know what you thought about that episode. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and have the opportunity to be featured in our next episode. See you next week.